son of Jeraham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, an Ephraimite. He had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came, from, came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Peninnah and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he gave a double portion because he loved her, and the Lord had closed her womb. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Her husband, Elkanah, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Once, when they had finished eating and drinking at Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow, saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, How long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Thank you, Elizabeth. That's been terrific. Um, Great. Hi, everybody. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, I'm Mark. Lovely to be with you tonight. We're going to be talking about Hannah. We're going to continue our series in prayer. Can you hear me all right? Just opening this up a bit. How's that good? Yeah, we're going to continue our series on prayer. Uh, and um, this little background, um, actually, um, background is this, is we're at, uh, we're at Shiloh, which is where the tabernacle was pitched before the temple was built in Jerusalem. And um, the, the scene is that we're at a dinner party and uh, everybody there, it's, it's Shiloh, it's the, the annual feast, everybody goes up there. What are you going to do in Shiloh? You're going to celebrate. You're going to celebrate all of the Lord's goodness for that year and that means lots of bouncing babies. All of the babies that have been born that year will be celebrating up at Shiloh. And uh, this, this scene reminds me because of, of something that hopefully you all know. I will take this first slide. There's 
everybody remember this movie, or, or am I the only one that's old enough? Does everybody remember Bridget Jones' diary? Do you remember the, the smug married couple scene? Is that up there? There we are, the smug married couples. And here we are at Shiloh, that's what it's like. It's like the smug married couples. And Hannah, in this case, in this case Bridget, Bridget's the only single person there. Hannah's the only person there who doesn't have a bouncing baby to show off. And, um, you know, it's bad enough for poor Bridget. Uh, by the way, this, is, this story ends really well, just as this scene in Bridget Jones ends really well. I don't know if you remember it, but it ends with the Mark Darcy taking Bridget to one side and saying, I like you. I like you very much, just as you are. And if you've ever seen the movie, you'll know that is the defining line of the whole movie. And so our little movie here in Shiloh also ends really well. So it's a celebration, celebration of babies, all good things, uh, but Hannah is barren. And in a traditional culture, that meant shame and disgrace. It may mean that you're an outcast. And as if that wasn't bad enough, She's there amongst these fruitful, fertile, child-bearing women. And particularly, she is with the other wife, the other wife, who is there with, and it says, all her sons and daughters. You can imagine there's a whole tribe of little, little uh, penanas running around the table. She is the earth mother. And worse than that, she repeatedly provokes Hannah, and it says, literally, to irritate her. Now, before we, I just want us to go easy a little bit on Penina. After all, she's a second wife. She knows, everybody knows, that uh, Elkanah loves Hannah the best. I was, uh, I, uh, was fortunate in my work career to visit the Middle East quite a bit, and I had a good colleague in Dubai, um, Elham, and uh, we got to know Ellen quite well, family got to know Ellen quite well, um, and um, you know, stayed with her. My daughter Hannah spent uh, a summer with Elham and uh, got to know um, Ellen's mother. Ellen's mother was a, a lovely, lovely lady, uh, and she was wife number three. Um, so they knew a little bit about what you know, polygamy is about, and uh, she, so she was wife number three, and she she told us that actually there's a rule. There's a rule in these families when there's more than one wife. Uh, she lived in uh, Tehran. She was visiting Elam. But she explained to us, actually, that the rule is that you treat every wife the same. So if you give one wife a bracelet, you make sure you give the other wives a bracelet. If you take one wife to the movies one week, you make sure you take the other wives to the movies on another week. And so that's the rule in these traditional cultures. But you see what's happening here? Elkanah has forgotten the golden rule. And he's well-meaning, he loves Hannah, and he gives her a double portion. So here they are at the smug married couples, the smug baby celebrating meal. And there she is sat with a double portion in front of her. Now, some people can't eat 
when they're unhappy. I'm not one of those people. When I've got an essay deadline or a sermon deadline, as it was this week, my mind immediately goes to pork pies. You know, if I've got a tax return due, which I have, I'm likely to be thinking about a steak bake from, from Greg's. <laughs> Do you know Greg's? My mate Keith says, if, uh, if Greg's ever open a, a, a branch up in Belgravia, they'll have to call it Gregory's. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I, when I am under pressure, when I'm unhappy, I eat. I go straight to the fridge. My wife's not like that. And Hannah wasn't like that. My wife, when she's stressed or unhappy, she can't eat. And Hannah was like that. She was sat there with a big pile of uneaten food in front of her. And it just makes her feel worse. And then in verse 9 it says, Once, when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Hannah stood up. So we're going to look and see what she did next. This is a story about prayer, and it's how we might get our prayers heard. What Hannah does is she gets mad, she gets mouthy, and she gets a new motive. So let's look at that. She gets mad, she gets mouthy, and she gets a new motive. Okay, she gets mad. Hannah stood up. This is not just about somebody getting up from the table. If we can have the next slide. This is about a woman standing up. She, the literal translation is she arose, she took action. This is Erin Brockovich, the American paralegal who gets tough on the criminal fraudulent chemical company that's poisoning the water in her town. This is Bodica, Bodicea as we used to call her, after the Romans have cheated her family and her out of their inheritance. Hannah stood up. She is on the wharf path. So she stands up for herself? No. What she does is she takes her complaint to God. She takes her complaint to God. And her standing up is more like, I will stand it no more. The passage talks about her weeping or bewailing. She's downhearted. Literally, her heart is quivering. And she's unable to eat. She's in a meltdown. To Eli, she says, I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. I've been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. But I don't want you to get the impression that she's a broken woman. That deeply troubled phrase there is a Hebrew word, kashe, kashe. Elsewhere in the Old Testament, that word is translated severe, obstinate, fierce, intense, stubborn. In short, Hannah she is livid. She gets mad. Reminds me of um, the great reformer John Knox when he was praying. His famous line is, Give me Scotland or I die. 
Give me Scotland or I die. Spurgeon says, he who prays without fervency does not pray at all. We cannot commune with God who is a consuming fire unless there is fire in our prayers. So the first thing Hannah does is she gets mad. She is livid. Secondly, she gets mouthy. Verse 12. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk. And she said, and she said to her, how, and he said to her, how long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Now this is a bit laughable, really. Um, Eli's sat at the entrance to the tabernacle. It's almost like he's got the, the purple rope out across the, the nightclub. But it's understandable because everybody's going there and feasting. They're all having lots of food and lots of drink. And it wouldn't be untypical, I guess, for people to overindulge. It's also understandable because his own sons are absolute reprobates and are used to getting drunk. Look, I spoke some weeks ago on the parable of the persistent widow. And we saw in that uh, parable how Jesus commends the woman uh, and commends the same attitude in our prayers as the woman in that story displays, where it says that the king was afraid that she was going to beat him up. So here we have a livid woman and although she's speaking silently to the extent that Eli thinks she's drunk, nevertheless, she is uh, crying out in her soul. We spoke, when I spoke a few weeks ago, and I really don't want to spend too long on this because we can go back and listen to the sermon, there were lots of words that were in the Psalms that talk about this crying out, this praying. Some of them were hammer, loud, roaring, complaining, Shava, high-pitched sound. Shaka, shaka, I can't say it. High-pitched screaming. And what I just want to say is, we don't need to go over what I preached on a few weeks ago, but when we are mad, when we really need something from God, we cry out in our hearts and we can cry out with our voices. And so next slide is another film. There we are. My recommendation to you is carry on screaming. The words are there in the Bible. That's what they mean. So here Hannah is silent, but nevertheless there is passion and vehemence in her words. Thirdly, she gets a new motive. Now, to childlessness today uh, is a great sadness and uh, I have huge sympathy for those who might be struggling in that way and no way I want to belittle the pain and sorrow of childlessness today. But in ancient cultures, it was not just a lack of emotional fulfillment, it actually was security, it was an income, it was a good name, it was honor, it was respect. The family couldn't continue unless there were children and particularly sons. In ancient cultures, it's easy for us to criticize that they had this focus on children. But we have our own idols as well. 
whether that's success or recognition or fame, or money, beauty, a perfect body, or like Bridget Jones, boyfriend, girlfriend. And it's so easy for us to have those aims in life, whatever that might be, and see God as our means to sort out my life, to sort out my children, to find me a wife or a husband, to get my son or daughter into a good school to make me pregnant. James says, when you ask, talking about prayer, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives. Verse 10. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. What's that all about? Some sort of hairstyling instructions, some sort of Rastafarian vow. No, what Hannah is referring to here is the, the vow in number six where it says, it's then called the Nazarite vow. And it's a vow where you can dedicate yourself for a time to the Lord's service in a special way or in particular where those who are non-Levites, remember uh, we're talking about Ephraimites here, so this family were from the tribe of Ephraim. But non-Levites can become priests by taking this vow. But they have to take this vow for their whole life. What Hannah is saying is, if you will answer my prayer and give me a son, I am going to give him to you. Give him to the Lord's service. And so... In doing that, she will not have a son who's there to look after her. She will not have any income. He'll become a priest. He will not have any income to keep her. He won't be there for her to show off to her friends. She won't have the honor and respect down at the marketplace. And she will not have the emotional support of having a child. In fact, actually, um, Nazarites couldn't even be with their parents when their parents were dying because they weren't allowed to be near a dead body. There's absolutely no benefit to Hannah in having this child if she dedicates him as a Nazarite to the service of the Lord. So what is Hannah saying here? In this passage, we have seen Hannah completely change her motive. Her prayer previously had been, all my life I have wanted to have a child for me but now Lord I want to have a child for you she gets a completely new motive and we know this because later on in the next um, chapter we see Hannah's song where she she sings out in her heart my heart rejoices in the Lord in the Lord my horn is lifted high there is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. Hannah's heart, Hannah's motive is completely changed. 
I heard an amusing story recently. Some friends of mine were on safari. They told us the story just a few weeks ago. So they were on safari with their family and there were no animals around. There were just no animals around. There they were, um, I guess in Africa. And uh, my friend was saying to himself, you know what, I want to see animals. I've paid a fortune to bring my family on this trip. I want to see a tiger. I deserve to see a tiger after spending so much money. His wife turned to him and said, I'm praying and believing God for a tiger. And my friend just rolled his eyes, of course. I'm praying and believing God for a tiger. And as she went on to explain this story, she said, you see, I just prayed to the Lord. Lord, I want to see a tiger so I can rejoice and celebrate and give you thanks for your good creation. See the difference in the motives there? The story went on. Not only did she see the tiger, they saw the most enormous tiger. And it walked right up to, I guess, Land Rover or whatever vehicle they were in, and stuck its nose right up at the window next to my friend's wife. She got her tiger, and she rejoiced in God's good creation. So, Hannah gets mad, she gets mouthy, and she gets a new motive. The result, she gets heard. Verse 17, Eli answered, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. And may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. All well and good, sounds very encouraging. The problem is that that little word may, which could sound like maybe, that's not in the original. Translators have put it in there to make sense, I think, of the sentence. It's not in the original. There's a perfectly good word for may, uh, Hebrew word masa, and it appears in the very next sentence when, when um, Hannah says, may your servant uh, find favor in your eyes. It's a sort of polite, um, I guess, parting um, words that she might use. And there the word masa is used. But in this sentence, it's not there. Eli answered, go in peace and the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. There is no maybe in that sentence. The God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. And this reminds me of one of my favorite verses, 1 John 5 verse 14. This is the confidence we have in approaching God. If we ask anything according to his will, if we ask anything with the right motive, he hears us. This is the confidence we have. If we ask for the right motive, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of him. Now, at this point, there is no baby, there is no pregnancy, but somehow Hannah knows. 
that God has heard her through the words of the prophet. Now, that's very useful. We don't all, though, have a Sam, uh, a, an Eli around when we're praying um, to tell us, oh, God's heard you. Um, but we do have the witness of the Spirit. When we pray, and we might know that God has heard us by reading our Bible. Or maybe somebody does come along and gives a prophecy and say, that thing for which the Lord you've been praying, the Lord has heard but she knew that God had heard her. And although there was no baby in sight, it says she went away and ate something and her face was no longer downcast. She went home satisfied. She, was, she went home eating, but no more praying. Eating, but not praying. Sounds like a lot of our house groups, doesn't it? A lot of eating, <laughs> not so much praying. No, but it does say in verse 20, so in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son and she named him Samuel because I asked the Lord for him. And the name Samuel means literally heard by God. So she gets mad, she gets mouthy, she gets a new motive and she gets heard. But here is the most important point. It's not sufficient that she gets heard. The most important point is that she knows that she's been heard. Look at verse, uh, that uh, verse in 1 John again. If, first if, if we ask anything with the right motive, he hears us. He hears us. And second, if we know that he, and if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have, we've asked him. And that's where Hannah has got to. That's why Hannah goes away happy. Even though she doesn't have the child yet, she knows that God has heard her. Finally, and this is really easy, easy, easy to miss, she prays in the right place. The sanctuary was the place, the meeting place between God and man. It's the uh, earthly equivalent of God's dwelling in heaven on earth. It's the place where prayer is especially possible. And today, God's dwelling place is with his people, among his people. Matthew says, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I, there I am, I am, am I with them. And that's why we encourage one another to come and seek prayer in gatherings like this. It's not like we can't pray in the places, God can't answer prayers in other places. But where the Spirit of the Lord is, where the dwelling place of God, it's among us here. And that's why I encourage people to seek prayer. So get mad, get mouthy, get the right motive, and God will hear and keep on praying until you know till you know that God has heard you. Amen. Thanks very much.